Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Frankly Speaking on Fridays podcast. I am your host, Frank Padour. And it has been an interesting week. Certainly a interesting, interesting way to uh, wake up this morning in particular. But uh, not all is bad or should be dwelt on. But... Let's focus a little bit on the good before we start diving into the questionable. Um, Well, for one, another week has gone by. It is currently February 24th, a Thursday, 2022, 1.37 p.m. Eastern Time. And the reason for that is because Elden Ring is coming out tomorrow, and I'm going to be streaming and playing the crap out of that, so I thought I'd just do the podcast now. Still come out on Friday, just being recorded the day prior of... With that said, yes, another week has gone by. Another week of, uh, of decisions, of, of questions, of answers, both good and bad. Both bringing us closer to determining what is best for us and what will bring us to the path which we wish to go towards. Which road is better for us? Does it have pavement or is it just dirt? Or are you literally going through a trail of manure? If you are going through that trail manure, what's what's the nearest turn that you can make in order to get onto some dirt? That's what we're all trying to do. We're all trying to find that uh, yellow brick road for everyone, right? So, I hope you're finding your way to that yellow brick road and living out the life that you want for yourself. Because ultimately, that's what we all want. I believe. I hope. It's going to take some effort, trials and errors, but I believe that you can do it, just as I believe that I can do so for myself as well, and which, again, have been attempting to do so. But we're here together, breathing air simultaneously and living at this very moment. So congratulations for us making it another week on this world where It is very questionable at times, but here's to you, dear listener, here's to me, and to the podcast, episode 23, and yes, I made sure that it was the right number this time. Here's episode 23. So, let's get the bad news out of the way. Bad news number one, the queen has tested positive for COVID. Bad news number two, we seem to have uh, entered the beginning steps of World War III since Russia has invaded Ukraine. Woke up to that this morning, evidently. It was estimated that it happened sometime around 9, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time last night is when they first started banging down the doors, which would be Ukraine's 4 a.m. So, I have nothing more in which to say upon that, because this is not something, a podcast, which is political, and obviously this is not something of my expertise whatsoever. I'm a musician, first of all, and I am a voice actor and a narrator. So, I obviously do not have any type of grounds or hobbies which go into politics. I have opinions naturally, but here on this podcast, 
is not the place. Maybe one day, but as of right now, we have other topics in mind in which, in which to discuss. Speaking of continuing the good news, I have actually, for the first time in a while, unfortunately, have taken on and completed already a narration project. It was uh, for a... A former, I don't want to say former colleague, but he and I went to school together. And he just messaged me saying, hey, I got a project in mind. And I feel that your voices it will do it perfect justice. He phrased it otherwise. That was my recollection, but the same gist. So went ahead, did it for him. He paid me. Project is uploaded and finalized. So, that was good, fun, fine, and dandy. And of course, my roommate is uh, now employed with, a, with another job, and I may be falling right behind her with that other job. Just so that we can work part-time, get income in, and still maintain the schedule that not only we want, but also maintain and fund the hobbies, which we hope to turn into our careers. So, I feel that is basically the best recap that I can give for this week. Just because, you know. Oh. Sorry, reading. Um, that's the best recap that I can give for this week. Just because it has been a little bit slow. But, uh, even with the Queen getting COVID and with the potential World War World War Three happening right now, I think the rest of the world and at least the very least the streaming community and the gaming community is going to try and forget everything and just play Elden Ring tomorrow when it comes out. It's already downloaded on my PS4. It's ready to go. Yes, a PS4. I don't have a PS5. And no, I did not get it on PC because I didn't want to. Also, it, it makes, with how my setup is, uh, streaming through a console is easier for me. So, with that said, that is my week. I hope your week has gone good, has been productive, and is going the way that you want it to. With that said, let's turn over to the topics of discussion that I have laid out for this podcast. One being short and the other one being much longer. Because, I'll tell you why in a second. So, topic number one is about the Punisher. If you're an avid listener of this podcast or you just know me in general, you know that the Punisher is my favorite hero. My favorite uh, anti-hero, my favorite character. Uh, within the Marvel Universe. The Hulu rendition of The Punisher that will be coming there eventually, still played by uh, John. I look forward to that. I hope they do it proper justice as he envisioned. But I came across an article last night, and I read it to my roommate aloud because it irked and intrigued me simultaneously. And this article comes from uh, boundingintocomics.com. I've never heard it before. It just appeared amongst my uh, what-have-yous. I don't know. Um, you know, you open up Google on your phone, and it kind of just randomizes 
uh, articles for you as you scroll in a new tab. So that's where this came from. But this was written by a John F. Trent yesterday and published yesterday, which is obviously how I read it. Yay, Captain Obvious. So it says image, the title of it is Image Comics Chief Financial Officer Eric Larson wants Marvel to make the Punisher gay. Hunt people who wear his logo. Are you not intrigued? Because boy, I am. So it says, Savage Dragon creator and Image Comics Chief Financial Officer Eric Larson recently advocated that Marvel turn Frank Castle, a.k.a. The Punisher, into a gay man. Larson expressed his opinion on Twitter following Marvel's decision to change the Punisher's logo and make him the leader of the criminal organization The Hand. By the by, this may have spoilers. Back in December, Marvel announced a brand new Punisher series from writer Jason Aaron with art by Jesus Saez, Saez, Saez I, I'm butchering names again, I'm sorry, and Paul Azacita. I'm so sorry. According to Marvel, the series will be 13 issues long and will, quote, explore the past, present, and future of Frank Castle's character and reveal, reveal where his motivations truly lie. I'm looking at the, uh, the pictures on the website for uh, the cover of uh, Punisher number one for this. Looks pretty cool. Looks interesting. We'll see how it turns out. Marvel went on to detail some of the plot points for the series. Quote, after a shocking secret pushes him to become the warlord of the hand, warlord of the hand, he now serves the beast, a role he's been fated to fulfill. They add, tragedy, war, and rage come together as he takes up his sword and his new armor with the most notorious clan of assassins in the Marvel Universe. Will it mean an end for the Punisher? Or a whole new bloody beginning. Aaron provided some additional details. After writing The Punisher over the years, I've always been fascinated by the character of Frank Castle. What moments made him the Punisher, even before that fateful day in the park? And how far will he go to win the, the war that has consumed his life? Spoiler, as far as it damn well takes. He added, This story is the destined next step in the dark and tragic evolution of Frank Castle, from troubled kid to heroic soldier to revenge-driven vigilante, to the duly anointed king of killers. Believe me when I say I am as excited about this story as anything I've ever written for Marvel. Responding to the, these changes and the ongoing debate around them, Larson wrote on Twitter, quote, instead of changing Punisher's chess emblem, they should just have Frank finally realize that he's gay. He then added, and the beauty of it is that it wouldn't alter his comics at all. He'd still be dressing in leather, ignoring the ladies, and hanging out in bars with other sweaty dudes. In a subsequent tweet, he added, and then the Punisher skull would take on a whole new meaning, and it would just kill, and it would just kill the dudes who brandished it. They're such a homophobic lot. In response to a user who told him I'd read that, Larson added, Seriously, if you read Punisher comics which exist, nothing changes. You can read comics that are imprint and it all works. Man, he keeps his van tidy. Weird how he hasn't hooked up with any lady in like 50 years. It all fits, he asserted. 
Frank Castle's tragic backstory involves the death of his wife Maria and their two children. Following the murder of his family, Punisher would have a number of flings with various women. In Garth Ennis and Louis LaRosa's Punisher No. 23, he sleeps with former CIA agent Catherine O'Brien. In fact, Castle even hooked up with Elektra as well in Thunderbolts No. 7. Clearly none of this matters, matters to Larson, as he only wants the character made gay in order to get one over those who he accuses of homophobia. What do you make of Larson's suggestion? Well, I was uh, speaking with this, obviously, with my roommate. And uh, they only mentioned... Okay, where to put this first? Thing number one, my opinion of Mr. Larson's want to make Punisher gay, for me, no, absolutely not. And that does not come from a place of homophobic origins. I have no problem with homosexuals, with the LGBT, LGBTQ plus community. If anything, one tag that is always amongst my streams is that. It is a safe place. Please come and, and hang out. I have nothing against that community whatsoever. What I do have against, with Larson just wanting to turn the Punisher gay, is that he obviously doesn't know what he's talking about. The Punisher has hooked up with so many women since uh, he became the Punisher, it's kind of nuts. The first one I recollect is within the second series of the Punisher. Maybe issue 7 or 8? It's pretty early on. The Punisher goes undercover for uh, in order to infiltrate a mafioso organization. Just as some rookie, uh, specialist rookie, but obviously he went straight to the uh, high head with his specialized skills. The mafioso boss obviously has a, a trophy wife. And that trophy wife, looking at the uh, however tall... Let's see... How tall is the Punisher? Oh, shit, really? Wait, which... Which one? Uh... Let's see, in Punisher Essential, it says he is seven feet. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so that's the thing, is that which, how tall is the Punisher? Well, it depends on which Punisher you're talking about. Are you talking about one of the movie Punishers? Are you talking about the Netflix original series Punisher? Or are you talking about comic book Punisher? I would say that he is at least 6'5", because he's a big-ass dude. Seven foot, maybe pushing it. I'd probably say maybe 6'8". But yeah, this mafioso wife looks at this tall, ripped man and obviously splooshes. And so he secretly bangs that dude's wife and probably later on kills him. I don't remember. It's been a while since I've read it. I need to reread the entire Punisher series anyway, considering that my collection is mostly complete. So, number one, no. He has banged a lot of women since he became the Punisher. However, with that said, even within the second series where he gets captured and put up to a computer simulation where he has a family 
after he breaks out of that simulation and murders the murderers who were the simulated people as his family, a part of him actually missed that simplistic lifestyle. He missed having that family setting, that nuclear family setting, and almost being happy. But the only reason why that worked for him is because it was, you know, his wife. He loved his wife. He, there was no one else for him. So, and that's something that he struggles with throughout the entire Punisher series is wanting and yearning to give up the war against crime, organized crime rather, and find someone to go back to, to start a life and start a home with. But he never could as much as he wanted to. He's had so many love stories, short love stories, granted, with women, but he could never commit to them because the only one that he wanted to commit to was the woman who has passed. So, Punisher being gay, no. If he wanted to stretch it, maybe bisexual, which is something that uh, Queen Shelby and I discussed. We could totally see that. I'm mean, Honestly, why not? But as far as the true character of the Punisher goes, no. I think he is very much heterosexual and he doesn't commit or become a family man anymore because that life is most literally dead now. It died when his family died. And all they are is just yearnings now to get it back, but it would be with a different woman and it would be, um, if they you know, ever did have kids, I, I don't know how the Punisher would actually feel towards that. Obviously, he would love that kid to death. But, you know, he's made so many enemies. He's being hunted continuously because of his actions, because of the enemies and people that he's killed. Plus, the law. My God, he's a vigilante. He's basically... If you were to take a small country and find out its population... That is the body count that the Punisher has racked up throughout the years. So, a family life is not possible for him anymore. So, that's, that's my take on that. The Punisher being gay? No, not really. Uh, there's some comments on here, but, uh, but they're... They're not worth going through. I don't. I don't care. So uh, that's my take on that article. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's just it's an interesting thought, but I don't think Punisher coming out as gay would work. I think that there are plenty of other uh, Marvel and even DC characters that you could come out. Uh, with being closeted, that would fit much better. Hell, I mean, <clears throat> I would say, who remembers the movie Paul? I, I'm raising my hand right now. I know my roommate is. But the reason why I mentioned Paul is because if anyone is to be gay, is probably someone who is of alien origins. 
and I mean like literally alien, like outer space alien origins, because that makes sense. Uh, Paul lived in a society where they don't care about male, female, uh, homosexual, LGBTQ plus, nothing of that nature. Just uh, we both want to feel good. Let's go man or woman or male or female or hermaphrodite doesn't matter let's go let's have at it so i feel that you know uh manhunter martian uh superman um uh hell even wonder woman because she comes from the amazon right so i'm sure the amazonians probably have orgies like i would feel that those characters would be more fitting to uh sway their sexual orientation one way or the other now granted i understand i listed only um only dc characters there but i am more than certain that there's probably a plethora of potential candidates for that for that sexual orientation within x-men alone i mean Charles Xavier has an entire school and, and, and a bunch of characters. I'm sure that there is some uh, bi or gay or potentially transgendered individuals within that school. And it's up to Marvel as to whether or not to explore that. But to take someone like the Punisher who has been established for years now and be like, oh no, he's gay this entire time makes no sense. So that's that's my opinion and that's my uh uh yeah so that's that's all that i have to say about that i mean hell why not silver surfer was that marvel silver surfer marvel oh shit i don't remember i want i believe he's marvel silver surfer marvel Oh, yes, Silver Surfer is Marvel. Yeah, why not have Silver Surfer, uh, intergalactic entity? Why not have him uh, be bisexual or gay or hell? Because he's alien and why not him have the ability to either have a penis or he's like, no, I'm, I'm feeling feminine today and whoop, there's a vagina. Anyway. That would be an interesting story to read. I might actually start collecting Silver Surfer comics if they did that. <laughs> the sexual exploits of Silver Surfer. Sexual Silver Surfer. S-cubed. Coming to Marvel soon. Anyway, so, that subject's now aside. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on to the other thing that I want to um, to talk about. So the other thing that has happened within my life is, uh, and I think I mentioned this is that I'm now being represented again by a different agency out of Chicago, which is great. And my new agent has informed me that, uh, there is a audition that happens every month at the end of every month, uh, for a different agency or client or this or that. And since I am now being represented by this different location, I now have that audition. So that will be happening in just a couple of days. With that said, is that 
I'm nervous because it's been a while since I've performed uh, in a acting type of way, especially for a uh, audition. And it's it occurred to me that I may or may not have talked about performance anxiety and how to uh, overcome it because it's not just something for actors or musicians in which to worry about. Performance anxiety happens to anyone and everyone everywhere. It, whether it's in school, you know, giving a speech, if it's, uh, if you're a business partner and you have to go and give a meeting to the big boss or to the board of directors, if you're a lawyer and you're going to court, those are all performances. Athletes, every single athlete, no matter what the sport is, that's performance. That is a presentation that is showing off yourself in the moment, right there, right then, under pressure. That's a performance. And with those performances comes that anxiety. And I've been playing French horn for 20 years now. I can say that officially since I've turned 30. I don't remember the exact date when I picked up the French horn and said, yes, that's the one for me. But I do know that it happened when I was 10. So with my, my history, with my 20 years of playing French horn, it has led me down a rather interesting, interesting road. And I've met a lot of people. And with meeting those people... Uh, of various talents, various backgrounds, and hell, even instruments. My understanding of performance anxiety and how to overcome it has swayed quite a bit. And I want to share not only my experiences with you, but I also want to share just what I do, what I know, so that you can overcome those performance anxieties. And it can be something as small as an interview. That's, that's trying to perform under anxiety as well, because you want to make yourself look good. You want to answer these questions correctly, all to get that job. Absolutely. Absolutely. So here's what I'll say as briefly as I can for my 20 years of being a musician, here is my understanding of performance anxiety. When I first picked up the French horn, I started playing it, it was fine. When I first had to give my concert, I was terrified. Luckily, I was young and clueless, so it wasn't as bad as I initially thought. It didn't hit me until about halfway through the performance, like I'm playing in front of a crowd. That was the problem. I looked up and looked into the crowd from the stage and beyond my stand and the flute player's stand. Wrong. <laughs> I, I broke focus. But I was 10, so how would I have known? From that moment on, I tried not to look at the audience. I acknowledged their existence, but I tried staying focused on the music in front of me and the conductor in front of me. That worked for a while, until in middle school, we started going to competitions because not only was it an audience, but now there's a panel of judges. 
So, and I was bad at counting back then too. My way of counting was listening to everyone else and just kind of knowing when to come in. Uh, that eventually got corrected. Anyway, so that added more anxiety. We won some awards, but, you know, I didn't know how to deal with it. They didn't talk to us about that. They didn't, they didn't even talk to us about that in high school, where my former band director, may he rest in peace, he would give blind auditions to us. He would be in the band room and it would be, you know, horn one through whatever, and you were horn whatever. And you would go in and you would play whatever music he said, and then you'd walk out. He tried to make it as professional as possible, which at the time, I didn't realize how interesting and different that is from what a lot of people actually do. Um, at least that I know, knew of and know of. So that was different, and because it was different, I was, you know, I was always, my heart was pounding. I still didn't know what to do with it. Even when I was composing a bit and I was conducting my original compositions in front of an audience, my heart was pounding, but I was trying to just focus on the musicians in front of me. Still didn't know how to deal with it. I started getting and feeling better about these things because... Uh, one, my skill was improving, so my confidence was improving. And two, I felt better being behind a stand. And with being behind a stand and, uh, you know, about a row, two or three behind um, the ensemble from the audience's view, that made me feel more comfortable too. So performing in an ensemble nowadays... No anxiety, no performance anxiety whatsoever, unless there is an exposed part or a solo. We'll get back to that. Come undergraduate degree. Uh, not at Illinois State University, but at my alma mater, Northern Illinois University. I auditioned there when I transferred, and once I got in there, I was first chair for their highest band and their orchestra the entire time I was there, which was awesome. That was great. I was not expecting that. I thought I would have to really fight and dig my way through in order to claim those principal chairs. But no, right out of the bat, my entire time there, I was principal horn. So what does that mean? All those solos, all those high parts, they all came to me. <laughs> so I was so nervous for all those concerts. Uh, I'm surprised half of them sounded as good as they did, but there was just bits and scraps and pieces of, well, this is how you handle this. Or, you know, uh, have a couple of bananas before you go out and perform. That will help, uh, bananas help calm you down. Or have you heard of beta blockers? I take them for auditions and performances. I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to be dependent upon that. Um, I don't like, I feel as if that would be, you know, a cane that I would have to uh, that I'd have to use every single time I wanted to do something mildly intimidating with the French horn. So, something that happened uh, my last year of undergraduate is I went to something 
at Northwestern University. They were hosting a a uh, a convention, I suppose you'd call it an event. I don't know. It was like a three day event over at Northwestern, being hosted by Gail Williams. The oh my God, that that woman, she can play. Holy crap! But. She was hosting this giant convention full of people who wanted to talk about three separate things. They want to talk about posture through the Alexander technique. They want to talk about performance anxiety, and they wanted to talk about um, some other aspect, which now escapes my mind. Doesn't matter. The individual who was doing the performance anxiety was actually a Dr. Don Green, who is actually a very formidable sports psychiatrist. And on the very first day that we were in front of him and he was talking to us, he said, you know, I wouldn't imagine that I'd be standing here in front of you musicians. Never in my life. I used to work with Olympic diving teams. Uh, those divers and help them through um, their performance anxieties. He told a story about how he had one diver in the middle of practicing uh, flip wrong or dive wrong and they hit the pool and injured themselves and they weren't able to go ahead and do any more dives, physical dives for two weeks. Well, in two weeks is when the uh, tryout for the Olympic team was to happen. So instead he had them do nothing but mental exercises, had them watch other divers do the dive that they want to do. And then, you know, sit down on the couch, close your eyes and as vividly as you possibly can within your mind, imagine every detail of you climbing up that ladder, going to that position, bouncing, and then going through the motions and diving into the water for two weeks. That's all they did. Come the day of the tryout, they made it and they got on the Olympic team. So how does a man like that go from doing psychology with sports and with athletes to musicians? Well, oddly enough, he got a phone call randomly one day for a French horn player. I believe they were auditioning for the Louisiana Symphony Orchestra. And he said, the horn player said to him, and I mean French horn player, not like a trumpet horn player, basically said, hey, I know that you do sports, but I really need this job. The audition's coming up, and every single time I step on the stage in order to audition, my nerves get the best of me. I could really use your help. And he was skeptical, Dr. Green, but he agreed. And he was surprised almost baffled by how similar sports anxiety and performance anxiety for musicians are really just the same. So he helped the man out and yes, the man got that job. So what he taught us was many things. Thing number one is not to be afraid of your fear. 
It's perfectly natural. We're putting ourselves into very uncomfortable situations, very exposing situations, and the body is going to react accordingly, which is the butterflies in your stomach, the your heart rate and your accelerating and sweats. My goodness, that's all your body basically saying, hey, I'm uncomfortable. Please stop doing this. But if you want to push past that, that is exactly what he advocates. And he actually recently came out with a new book, too. Um, but basically what he said is that he recommends that you not only prepare yourself as adequately as possible, that way you know the material inside and out. You know how to perform it. You know how to, you're in a practice room. You can play it fine, but the second you step out on stage, that's when the problems happen. So what you need to do is you need to recreate the stage. How do you do that? Well, if you're someone who has a high, like, pulsing heart rate when you step out onto the stage, what you need to do then is you need to... Uh, Run around the house, run around the building. You need to do some jumping jacks or some push-ups. You need to, you need to do uh, wall squats. Uh, not wall squats, but you need to do some sort of cardio to get your heart rate up. Once your heart rate is up, then try playing your piece. Right off the bat, just go. Do it. And the more that you do that, the more that you get used to that accelerated heart rate. Well, let's say that your heart rate only gets accelerated when you know someone's watching. Fine. Grab a family member, grab a friend, sit them in front of you, and you play your piece as if it were a performance. Play in front of an audience. Replicate the situation as closely as you possibly can so that you get used to it. And the more you do it, the more that the anxiety will fall because you are then used to, oh yes, people are in front of me, but what message do I wish to convey through the music? What do I wish to emote? What did this composer intend for this piece that I can share with my audience? So, that was thing number one. He has an entire system that I highly recommend that you uh, look up and that you find and Foolish me, I didn't bring out my notes in order to share with you because I wrote down so many notes. He has like seven steps of what you should do and how you should do it. And I've used quite a bit of them. In fact, it's probably one of the more, it's probably one of the reasons as to why my graduate, my undergraduate recital was successful, was following that. And also putting myself into, uh, into the performance. I was never one who like would walk out, bow, play, bow, walk out, walk in, bow. No, that's, I want to tell a story. I want to be a narrative. I want to make others feel included and not just, Hey, you're here for the music. Hey, Hey, I'm your performer. It's like, no, let me share with you who this person is, why I picked this piece, things of that nature, more showmanship, theatrical. But Don Green is a, uh, a successful man with his books and with his mentoring. But if you are someone who, um, if you're someone who feels that you have to have those beta blockers in order to get by, I guess that's your choice. However, I would say that you 
need to push past that because you're relying on something in order for you to uh, get past your what what's very natural um if you go your entire career using nothing but beta blockers uh, did you actually earn that position then or have you just created a facade throughout your entire career so that's what i have to say about uh beta blockers and and at least my experience with mr uh not mr dr green very kind man very lovely man but along with that during my graduate times at indiana university and being under the tutelage of the late great dale clevenger another horn professor at iu is jeff nelson and for those of you who don't know jeff nelson i recommend that you do he's a very successful man he's also a hell of a performer and he loves close-up magic <laughs> <laughs> he is uh currently not only a professor at iu but he is also the horn player for the canadian brass if you don't know who the canadian brass is look them up they're a fantastic wonderful high quality brass quintet i mentioned professor nelson because he has a website and a forum and um seminars all over uh for something that he created called fearless performance and i've gone to one of his seminars uh for fearless performance and a lot that he says makes sense uh, i'm at the website right now and it says uh, your fears aren't your problem your destructive responses to fear are your problem and he's absolutely right he will go on saying you know much like what dr green said always be as prepared as you possibly can know the piece inside and out know that you have the ability to play these pieces hands down but now add the performance anxiety to it jeff would say practice how you walk in and how you walk out you can even just do it in the kitchen there's a line right there that line you know past that line you are in performance mode before that line, you're you, you're happy, you're dainty, you're whatever it is that you are, and you're, you're, uh, you're afraid. But the second you pass that line, you're not afraid. You're performing that music, and you know you're going to nail it. That's the other thing, is that you have to have that mentality of, oh my god, this high note's coming up, I'm going to frack it like I always do. No, the second you think that, you become distracted, and you're, you're setting yourself up for failure, right there and then you know that you're going to get that note you feel it and you go for it and if you frack that note oh well you at least gave it your best damnedest effort and if you hit it awesome stay focused move on just if you miss a note yeah you you frack that note you 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 know you flubbed the fingering oh well don't it's in the past now literally move on but that's essentially what they say and he has a bunch of uh free you know, of course all the articles which i mention and everything which i read is always going to get posted not only in chat if you're listening to this live but it's also found in the description below 
But Jeff has a bunch of stuff. You can contact him. You can check out his blogs, his websites. He has some printable documents that you can do in order to help you keep track of uh, what it is that you're working on and what you're looking towards. There's a document right here. What's your story? Creating a performance narrative. Set the scene. The curtains open. What country, time of day, indoors, outdoors, weather, location, time period, or decade? Reveal the character. Who is that? Male, female, what age, what social status and occupation, what is their appearance? There's a situation, what has happened or will happen? What is the drama? How do they feel? He wants you to tell that story through that piece. And he wants you to be so engrossed within your own narrative, your own story that you've written for this piece, that through that story that you created, that you feel best fits that piece, will help you connect, emote, and stay focused on what you wish to convey. So, uh, Fearless Performance Worksheets, you can download these. Words for feelings, word for sounds, inspirational sheet sayings, on-deck rituals. I'm flow-vising? Success-based practicing, what's your story? Now, I speak of these things as a musician. You can obviously see how these things can be used and applied for athletes and for, um, for actors and actresses especially. Uh, but for everyday situations, for wanting to talk to someone about something that makes you... Um, afraid, maybe you want to break up with someone for that job interview, for, for that lawyer who's trying to defend that person who was wrongfully accused. Like that's, that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of anxiety. And the only way that you can overcome it is by continuously practicing and putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, which replicate what you will be going through. You can have a couple of bananas if you want, but I wouldn't recommend beta blockers. Again, relying on a substance in order to overcome your mentality should only be used for those who actually need it. As a performer, you need to be able to get over those anxieties, to get over that fear so that you can go ahead and do those auditions, do those interviews, do that performance and win those jobs. So I mention all this because of my audition on Saturday. I'm a little nervous, but I know my monologue. I know the situation for it. And I know that what I have to offer is something that a higher up agency should be interested in. And I hope they take notice, but that's not up for me to decide. I'm going to do my very best at that moment on that day. And that's all I can do. After that, it's kind of what Brian Cranston said, you know, Walter White of Breaking Bad and many other things. He was asked in an interview, you know, what advice would you give to a young performing, uh, for a young actor just starting out in the job? And he said, basically, go walk through the doors Give your very best at that moment, and when you walk out of those doors and they close behind you, don't think about it. 
because at that point it's out of your control. And that's something that Jeff even says. If is something if you're stressing about something, can you do something about it? Is it in your control? No. Well then don't worry about it. If that's a yes, then do something about it. But yeah, you just do your best in the moment. After that, it's out of your hands. So move on to the next thing. So with that said, I'm going to uh I'm going to uh, call the podcast here. Shorter one, I know, but we need to... Uh, I, we're going to set things there. We're going to focus on, on what we need to focus on. I'm going to focus on my audition, and I hope you focus on the next step of your life and overcoming whatever it is that you need to. So, thank you for listening. This is the Frankly Speaking on Friday's podcast. Be sure to email me if you'd like and articles of interest, uh, want to say hello, comments, etc., etc. You can email me at fsofpodcast at gmail.com. I will check them and potentially they will be read on the podcast itself. So until next week, which will be the first podcast that we do going into March, will be March 4th, 2022. Until then, thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves. Keep practicing. And, uh, yeah, until then, au revoir.